Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Genesis, God's crowning act of creation. And we're going to answer three questions this morning. Uh, First of all, what is the crowning act of God's creation? Number two, how is it the crowning act of creation? And why is it the crowning act of creation? Uh, But before we get into that, I want to quickly relatively quickly, sum up God's acts of creation thus far. And so we'll start here with day one. And uh, if we go back, and you don't have to, we won't read through it, but remember in day one, God created light. Um, You know, I was studying that this morning. No, not this morning, this week. And I was wondering, uh, did God actually create light or... Uh, or did light exist because God exists and he just called light into existence into space and time? And I know it's kind of like, well, you're really getting out there. Um, but my questioning is based on a few verses, and I don't want to rock anyone's world here, but I just want to share a couple verses with you guys and uh, see why I was thinking the way I was thinking. First of all, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? God commanded light to shine out of the darkness, but and that's okay. You go okay. Well, but here's the next verse, First uh, John one five. This is the message which we have heard from Him, and declare to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So God Himself is light. Um, And then we read, of course, in the book of Revelation, we know that in New Jerusalem, uh, there won't be any need for the sun or the moon to shine in it because the glory of God is going to illuminate it. The Lamb is its light. And so, um, you know, so I was thinking, well, did God actually create light or did God just, you know, speak light into time and space and stuff? But again, it's it's not a, uh, hopefully it's doesn't become a theological issue or anything like that. Just I was thinking about that. So anyways, uh, from day one creation, we know God created light, or like I said, you know, whatever. Um, But he also called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And we also know that on day one, he created the heavens, which is plural, and the earth. Um, and so what was he talking about, the, the heavens? Well, um, the way I think of it, the way I look at it, is the first heaven is our atmosphere, you know, uh, the expanse, uh, our sky, so to speak. And the second heaven, I would assume, would be, be referring to space or our universe. And then um, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes about a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And uh, so the third heaven, um, I think what, from what I'm gathering from scriptures, that's where God dwells. And so that could be the heavens that is being referred to um, in on day one that God created. Day two, the firmament, uh, in the midst of the waters, which I would say would be our our atmosphere, our sky, you know, basically where the birds are going to be flying uh, when God creates them on another day. Um, And then day three, he gathers the water together into one place. Dry land appears on the earth. He calls the dry land earth, 
and he calls the waters seas. And on day three, vegetation, uh, God creates vegetation upon the earth, the plants. And then we get this new phrase that is going to be repeated now, and God saw that it was good. He's looking at the earth, the plants are growing, he says, this is good. Then we get to day four, and God now creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. And he says there's a purpose behind it. And the purpose is, first of all, to divide the day from the night, and for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years, and to give light on the earth. And so all those purposes are for the earth. And again, God saw that it was good. It seems like everything God created so far that he's calling good is awaiting his final act of creation, his crowning um, act of creation on day six. What is God's crowning act of creation? Verse 26 is where we're told. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what is God's crowning act of creation? Mankind, you and I. God, uh, Adam, was God's crowning act of creation. How was it done? Well, the answer is it's because man is created in the image of God. Um, by the way, if you look at this verse here, um, it's interesting to me anyways, that it says, let us make man in our image. There's no mistaking the plural there um, and uh, the plural pronouns. And even the Jewish, you know, the Jewish people, they believe that God is one, you know, and they, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But they cannot deny the fact that those verbs are plural. They can't deny it. And uh, so, but they have an answer for it. Their answer is, well, God is speaking to the angels. The angels are standing around and God's speaking to them. Um, and okay, but there's no scriptural support for that. Um, however, throughout Scripture, there are hints at and references to the triune nature of God, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So verse 27 is the third time that the verb bara is used. Where Again, God is creating something out of nothing. God is creating something new, and that new creation is man. Again, plants are living just like animals are living, but animals differ from plants, like I mentioned earlier, that God bara, he created them with a consciousness, But man differs from both plants and animals. Um, Now, animals, you know, there are some biological similarities between man and animals, but there's an unbridgeable gap between between mankind and the animal kingdom. And so in verse 26, God again says, Bara, God creates something new. He creates man in his own image. 
So how are we created in God's image? In what way? Does that mean that we look just like God? Well, if you think about it, the Bible says God is a spirit. So we, it's, it's not a, a physical appearance necessarily. Um, but the Bible does teach us that God is love. And uh, God has created you and I, he has created Adam with a capacity to love. Um, God is self-determinant. In other words, he, de- he decides his own future. You know, he, he controls his own life. He makes his own choices. And in a sense, God has created you and I with the power of choice. Man is a free moral agent. We have the power to choose. God is holy. And uh, man was originally created in holiness. Before sin, man was holy. Man had a relationship, was able to have a a one-on-one relationship with God there in the Garden of Eden. He was able to be in fellowship with his creator because of that holiness. Um, But that fellowship, of course, was broken by sin. But one of the images of God is holiness, which was before the fall of man. God is triune, which we mentioned earlier. That means three persons in one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And man is an inferior triune being. He has a body, a mind, or a soul, and a spirit. Um, But again, man spiritually died at the fall. So these are some of the ways that we, I believe, are created in God's image. So here's a new word for you, and I, I just learned this this week. I never didn't know anything about it, um, but this is, this is a, a new thing. In fact, it's, I don't even know if it's in the dictionary, but the word is species, speciesism. Have you guys ever heard of that? Um, the whole idea behind speciesism, you can kind of get a hint from that poster there. Um, you know, mankind was racist, right? Because we discriminated against different races of people. Uh, mankind is sexist because they discriminate between the sexes. But now mankind is also being labor, labeled speciesists. I guess that'd be the word. Um, because we discriminate against certain animal species. Here's another one. Uh, power to the animals, or power to the species, man, right on. (laughs) Um, And then this is an interesting one. You look at that two little charts there, the ego on the left, you see who's at the top of the, of the pyramid there? That's man. And uh, if you'll notice, maybe it's kind of small, but on the next step down is is the woman so the man is uh, is the top of the food chain basically so to speak and then there's uh, you know it goes down from there and they call that ego uh, but now they've got this poster on the right that's kind of more what it's supposed to be and it's eco and you'll notice that man is just kind of in a in a glob with all the other species that are on the earth and uh, this is the mindset that is becoming popular in our culture. Um, I was thinking about that. You know, basically what, what speciesism is, what, from what I understand, what I'm gathering is, one of the things is they think about the hypocrisy of people. For example, uh, we have pets that we feed and we take care of and we love them and stuff, but then there's other species that we just slaughter them, butcher them, and eat them. And they're like, well, that's, that's hypocrisy. How can you love one animal and then be cruel to another animal? And so that's the, that's the whole premise behind speciesism. Uh, it, you know, and it's kind of, in a sense, it's kind of laughable. But on the other sense, to me, it's kind of sad because if you think about it, if you have a person that has this kind of a mindset, 
How do you reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you tell them, hey, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain for your sins? That would be offensive to them. What do you mean, a lamb that was slain? That's speciesism, you know? And, and, and think about that. That, that, that. that is a lie of the enemy. Uh, you know, the God of this world is blinding the hearts and the minds of people. And uh, it, this is nothing more than spiritual warfare that's going on right now. And it's going to become more and more prevalent. And so it's kind of laughable, but on the other side, on the other hand, it's kind of sad when you think about it. So even after the fall, man still bears the image of his creator, but it is marred by sin. And that's why after the flood, um, God told Noah in Genesis 9, 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. That's the whole basis behind capital punishment that is still practiced even in our country at this time. Uh, you know, there's an intrinsic value to human life um, that's not shared by the animals. James, he's writing to believers, and he says, No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude uh, of God. In other words, in the image of God. And, and so his, his reasoning is here, you know, we bless God, but on the other hand, we look at people that are made in God's image and we curse them. And it's like, that, it shouldn't be that way. It just it doesn't make sense. So why? Because we, we, we saw that, obviously we saw that, God, that man is God's crowning act of creation and how he was made in the image of, of God. But why? Why did God do that? Why is, God, is man God's crowning act of creation? Why did God create us in his image? And uh, I, the reason why is for fellowship. God created mankind unique from the animals, unique from the plants, unique from all of his creation, even from angels. We're unique in the sense that God has created us to be in fellowship with him. In fact, I mentioned earlier, I said we're not necessarily physically, you know, we're, we're not necessarily in God's physical image, but there is some aspects of, of our creation, our design, that God, I think, specifically designed us with so that we would be able to be in fellowship with him. First of all, we're designed with an erect posture. You know, we're standing up. Uh, we're not just crawling around on the ground. We can stand up. We're able to look up. Uh, we're able to raise our hands without falling over on our face. God has designed us, our physical frame, that we can actually uh, be looking up to him, as, as it says there, with an upward-gazing countenance. Not only that, but we're designed with facial expressions, able to communicate various emotions, you know, I remember one time, a long time ago, and I don't even remember who it was, but I remember at somebody's, I was either at somebody's house or somebody, and we were looking at their pet, their dog, and they go, well, did you realize that's their happy face? And I'm like, their happy face? And I'm like, I'd never realized, you know, and now, now I could, because we have dogs now, I was like probably in high school at the time, now, you know, I could recognize, oh, our dog's got a happy face. But, you know, it's hard to tell when the dog doesn't have a happy face. Although, you know, if you look on the internet, you can find all kinds of pictures of dogs with happy or sad faces. But um, to me, I had to be told what a happy face looked like. And now I go, oh, I guess I see it. You know, they're panting and they kind of look like they're happy. Um, But that's an animal. 
But you know what? And I've been married now for 34 years. My wife and I, we didn't have to be told what a happy face looks like or what a sad face or a, you know, with that mad, you know, they get that evil eye type of thing. It, it, I mean, I, nobody had to give me, like, I didn't have to go to school to learn that. I, I learned pretty quick what was a happy face or what's a sad face or what's a mad face, right? We're, we communicate that with one another, and that's one of the things that God has designed us with, different from the animals. Not only that, but we're designed with a brain and an intellect to be able to ponder, to be able to meditate, to be able to reason, to be able to understand, and to be able to choose. God has given us that design to be able to do that. Not only that, but God has uh, designed us with a tongue. Of course, all animals have a brain, all animals have a tongue, but God has designed man with a tongue able to articulate prayer, praise, worship, and thankfulness. We are uniquely designed for fellowship with God. Your Your creator designed you for fellowship with him. That's your intended purpose, to be in fellowship with him. That, that's what he created you for. You know, um, so we've been doing lots of work around the church here, and uh, um, sometimes I'll be working here. Dan's cousin is a carpenter, and he's been here uh, doing a lot of the carpentry work you see here. Most of it um, he's done himself. Some of it I've, I've done a little bit, and some others have done. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because he works during the daytime here, and I'm here during the daytime, and so sometimes I'll be working on something, and he'll come up to me and he goes, you know, I've got this tool. If you use this, it'll make it a lot easier for you. And so he has a tool that's specifically designed for the task that I'm doing. And man, I tell you, it's like, wow, I love it, man. I got to buy one of these things because it's like it works so well. It's, uh, it's, it, it makes the job so much easier. It removes stress. It's like everything goes, just goes smoothly when I use the tool that was designed for a specific task. Well, the same is true for your and my lives. We're designed for fellowship with God. And if we're not being used the way we've been designed for, it's just there, there's a disconnect there. There's, a, there's an unfulfillment there. There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a lack of, of purpose. And, and maybe, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm trusting I'm speaking to a room full of believers here. But, you know, if, if, if we have that relationship with God, you know, we have that ability to be in fellowship. Um, but even as Christians, sometimes I think, you know, we can kind of drift away where we kind of, we lose that, that time and that, that place in our lives for fellowship. And sometimes we find our lives getting kind of frustrating. And it's like, man, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall and all these things. Well, it could be because we're not doing what we were designed to be in fellowship with God. What else did God tell him? Verse 26, he says, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Man alone was given dominion over animals and the earth itself. Now, it's not like a, just a dominion like this is yours, have at it, you know, do whatever you want, but it's in a sense of stewardship of this planet, stewardship over the animal kingdom. Um, notice what we're, that man was never told to have dominion over other people. Never told to have dominion over other people. And you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, um, in a perfect, unfallen relationship with God, that relationship that man would have with other men, it would just fall into place. It's true even now in, in our lives as believers. If you have a right relationship with God, you're going to have a right relationship with people around you. 
When your relationship with God's messed up, it's impossible to have a right relationship with people around you as, as, as was intended. So turn your, or look at verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it's interesting, Jesus quotes Genesis 1 verse 27 in Matthew, and the way he quotes it, it kind of throws another wrench in, in the gap theory. And let me explain here. The gap theory. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Genesis 1, verse 1. And, uh, and then you get to verse 2, and it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And in between verse 1 and 2, some people believe that there's this large gap of time. And during that gap of time was when Satan rebel, rebelled uh, against God and was cast down to earth. And the earth that was then was destroyed and what we're reading here in Genesis 1 or 2 on is a recreation of earth. And uh, again, I'm not slamming that theory, but there's a lot of people that that there's a lot of people that believe that. Um, but uh, so there's this gap here, a large gap of time between Genesis 1 and Genesis uh, verse uh, verse 1 and verse 2 if for those that believe that. Um, but there's a problem with that theory um, in that Jesus in Matthew, he talks about the creation of male and female, and he signs that event to the beginning. He says, he was speaking to the, to the Pharisees around him, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Again, he's referring to the beginning. Verse 27, he's talking about the creation of man, but he's also attributing it to the very beginning. There's no hint of a gap in time there. Um, Again, you know, that's just uh, an interesting observation, I think. But going back to verse 28, God blesses Adam and Eve, and he tells them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You smelling something? I am too. <laughs> like, hmm? Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this right now, we're smelling something kind of unique in the sanctuary. <laughs> people listening are like, what are they talking about? Um, believe it or not, we have people that listen to this. <laughs> um <laughs> All right, uh, so there's this Adamic, I call it an ad- Adamic, I don't know if that was the correct terminology, but there's this blessing, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, one of my sons and his daughter-in-law, I was, I was blessed to perform their wedding ceremony. At the end of the ceremony, I pronounced this Adamic blessing on them, be fruitful and multiply, and uh, they're doing a pretty good job of it. They're, they're, they're fulfilling that, that blessing, which is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of funny, though. This is one of the commands which I would say probably most people would have no problem being a doer of the word rather than a hearer only. I don't know, just (laughs) this is the way I think, okay? (laughs) But, you know, I do a lot of premarital counseling and uh, I've done quite a bit 
over, over the time that I've been a pastor, one of the things that I always stress when I'm doing premarital counseling, I, I really stress to couples that they need to remain abstinent before marriage, that, that God has commanded them to remain sexually pure before marriage. And it's a struggle in, 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 in counseling, you know, because uh, there's, a, there's just that, that temptation is so strong when a, when a couple knows that they're going to get married and, you know, and depending on how the situation is, it's just there's a real struggle. And what I found is interesting to me is Satan he tempts people so there's such this strong temptation. He does everything he can to keep uh, to to keep people to cause people to violate that command of God to remain abstinent before marriage. He's just focusing on it. it's just that there's that there's that power there's that strength there's that temptation to to break that command before marriage, but then after marriage. He does everything he can to disrupt the relationship so that husbands and wives no longer share that God-given, God-blessed intimacy. It's, it's just fascinating. I, I've realized that now as I've been doing counseling. It's like, you know, I, I've counseled people after, uh, you know, post-marital counseling, I guess maybe it would be called, marriage counseling. And that's one of the issues, you know. It's like they've lost that intimacy and it's because I'm mad at her or she's mad at me or, you know, whatever it is. And, and, and it's like, wow, Satan's no longer tempting him that way. Now he's doing just the opposite. So it's, it's kind of interesting how twisted our world is. But going back to this, being fruitful and multiplying, subduing the earth, think about this. God created all these animals, right? And he didn't just create like one kangaroo, a male, a mommy kangaroo, and a daddy kangaroo, and said, you know, he created thousands of them. In fact, he said, let, the, let like the seas, let them teem with teeming, or swarm as the Hebrew root, let them swarm with swarming things. So there's thousands of animal species um, that just populated the earth when God created them. And yet he only created one man and one woman, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning. And uh, might raise a question, if Adam and Eve were created first and there was no other people, who's Cain's wife? You ever thought about that? Who's Cain's wife then? Um, that'll be a topic for discussion when we get to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 5. In chapter 5, I think it's an interesting question, and it's a, it's a valid question to, to address. But we'll get to it later. We won't address it here today. But you think of the vastness of the earth for one man and one woman to multiply and fill. And, uh, and you know... And then to subdue the earth, subdue creation, have dominion over creation. You know, when it comes to the Bible, like these children that were up here earlier, the youngest of these children can understand that God loves them, that Jesus loves them because the Bible tells them so. I mean, it's such a simple understanding of the gospel that the children can grasp that. And yet, the most learned biblical scholars, they'll never reach a point where they'll exhaust all that there is to know in the Bible and God's Word. Well, it's the same way with creation. Um, now, I happen to believe that the earth was, in fact, about 6,000 years old. It's debatable to some people, um, and you know, and there's reasons why people believe differently, and that, that's fine. Um, but whatever the age of the earth is, if it's 6,000 or 20,000, whatever it is, um, you would think after so many years, that man would reach a point where it's like, okay, we've got it all figured out. We understand creation. Um, But you know what? Even after all of the advances in the sciences and technology and medicine, 
The truth is, we've only just scratched the surface. We've only just scratched the surface. There's new things to learn every day, and we have proof of it here in Rochester. Because if you look down the street there at Mayo Clinic, um, why do you think they hire researchers? There's a lot of people be out of a job if it's like, we've got it all figured out. We know the human body to its fullest extent. There's nothing more new to learn. We've under, we, we know God's creation. We haven't. And anyone that's you know, to be truthful, like we still, there's still so many things yet to learn and stuff. Um, it's just, to me, that's just, it's amazing when you think about God's creation, that even after all these years and all these advances, we're still, we're just scratching the surface. We still don't have a, a full grasp on everything. And I don't think we ever will until Jesus returns. Here's a verse that's kind of interesting. Proverbs 25, 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And I think of that in the sense of creation, too. God has just concealed these things. There's just so much for us to, to, to reveal, and, and we'll never exhaust it, but it's the glory of kings to search it out. It, God has given, he, he's blessed us with, uh, you know, what, what would it be, how boring would it be to, to be living on a planet where all of a sudden you, you understood everything and there was just nothing more to learn. After a while, it'd be like, this is getting old. But it's not going to be that way. It'll never be that way. That's the amazing thing about God's creation, whether it's the human body or whether it's the earth itself. So going on, verse 29, And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. So I got... News for some of you that might be really disappointing, but before the fall, uh, certainly before the flood, or between the flood, possibly between the flood and the fall, but certainly after the flood, um, man was a vegetarian. Um, and everything was organic. You know, it was certified organic. There were no GMOs. It was good, good stuff to eat. Uh, probably didn't cost as much as it does now. Um, but if you think about it, that would also have meant that all the animals, including the dinosaurs, the meat eaters, you know, all those things, um, they were at one point, they were vegetarians. They, 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 they weren't meat eaters. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting, and we, we haven't really addressed it, but beginning with verse, I think it's 26 or verse 27, starting on the day that man was created, God is speaking to Adam and Eve. He's talking to them in a sense they can understand. And to me, that's fascinating. On the day that they were created, Adam and Eve were able to understand God's speaking language to them. That, to me, that's, that's an amazing thing. That, that, again, that flies in the face of evolution, right? But that's the truth. That's, that's what it was. Man was from the very beginning. Um, again, you know, God didn't create a baby Adam and a baby Eve. God created a, a, a mature man who was able to, to understand and think. In fact, later on next week when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, uh, the further into Genesis chapter 2, God says, gives uh, Adam the task of, hey, name, name the animals. That, that's fascinating when you think about it, that Adam's the one, he, you know, so he had this, God gave him this knowledge, this ability to, to reason and to think and to ponder and, and to actually create names, to come up with names for the animals. 
So we get to verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So that begs the question, if, if, if after six days God looks at everything, it says everything he made, and indeed it was very good. It was, you know, the earth, the, the plants, it was good. The animals, it was good. The sunlight, it was good. Man, it was good. And he and gets it all together and goes, man, it's very, very good. Well, that raises, raises a question, when did Lucifer fall from heaven? Now, scriptures doesn't outright tell us when, but I think there are some possible clues. Uh, in Job 38, in fact, uh, you might, don't do it right now, but if you want to study alongside the Genesis account, read Job 38. It's fascinating when you read uh, God speaking to Job. He's basically kind of rebuking Job, like, where were you and stuff? But, it, but it's an interesting commentary on creation. But in Job 38, God is speaking uh, to, uh, uh, to Job in verses 4 through 7. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements. Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The sons of God being referred to there are angels. And evidently the angels were created before the heavens and the earth and they were there observing God creating the earth and they were rejoicing with God as the earth was being created. And then we have a couple other passages that have dual applications. And they're, they're passages, they're prophecies regarding the king of Tyre. One's in Ezekiel and one's in Isaiah. But they have a double meaning. They also are referring to Lucifer. Uh, Ezekiel 28 verse 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. And again, is this also applying to Lucifer? You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created, and you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Evidently, Lucifer was in Eden. And it, was, it, it, it's, it appears that it was before he uh, rebelled against God. Then we have this passage in chapter uh, 14 of Isaiah, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, what is this? This is pride. Lucifer had pride. That was his downfall. That's what led him to rebel against God. But it's quite possible that Lucifer's pride stemmed from jealousy and envy 
of God's crowning creation, which was man. It wasn't him. So we get to day seven. That's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work in which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. The Sabbath rest, so God created the earth in six days, and I believe it was six literal 24-hour days. And on the seventh day, he stopped working, and he rested. He ceased from creating. And for the Jews, that, is a per- that Sabbath rest is a perpetual covenant. Look at Exodus 31, verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So the Sabbath rest was a command specifically for God's people, the children of Israel, and it's a perpetual covenant. They should even today be observing the Sabbath rest. Now, as believers, um, and, and we come from different traditions, I grew up in a home where we didn't observe the Sabbath, but we observed the Lord's Day or the Sunday. And so when I was growing up, we wouldn't go out to restaurants because you, you, you weren't to spend money, you weren't to work, um, unless if you were in the medical field, then it was okay. But other than that, you couldn't. And so as a little kid, man, we never went out eating on a, on a Sunday after church or anything like that. We went home. My mom had food prepared or whatever, you know, and, and we kind of, it was almost almost like this legalistic observation growing up. Things kind of, things kind of changed as we got older, and uh, I, I think my parents weren't quite as strict about it as, as I recall anyways. Um, but there are people that believe that uh, you know, Christians should have a Sabbath rest, and not necessarily a Sabbath, but you know, a once-a-week thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, God, it, it's good for your health, it's good for your well-being, it's good to have a rest from your labors. It's a good to have a, uh, it's a refreshing to have a break um, in the week. It's good for you, but it's not to be a legalistic thing. For the New Testament believer, Paul writes this. He says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Why? Because they're a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Even that Sabbath rest that God commanded that the Jewish people observe, it was actually, it was, it was just not God wanted them just to observe the Sabbath for the sake of observing the Sabbath, but it was to point them, to, to, to bring them to a place. To, to, it, was an, it was a sign of who Jesus Christ was. And so, why did I put that there? There was a reason why I put that there. Fellowship. That Sabbath rest for you and I as believers, it, it's a time where, how, how does it apply to us? Uh, if you read the Hebrews, and I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't have them here this morning, but if you read in Hebrews, there's a whole passage of Scripture uh, that deals with the Sabbath rest. And, 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 and Paul basically, or whoever the writer of Hebrews is, says, you who believe or we who believe, we've entered into that rest. 
If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're into that rest, that Sabbath rest, because you're no longer striving to do works to earn your righteousness. You're resting in the salvation that you received in Jesus Christ. And, and And he writes... Uh, the the writer of Hebrews, he urges, he says, let us be diligent to enter into that rest. And how do you, how do you even get into that rest and that, that place where you can be in fellowship and resting with God? Well, like Jesus told um, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You must be born again because mankind spiritually died. We'll get to that when we get to the chapter 3, but man spiritually died there in the Garden of Eden. So he, he has a body and he has a soul or a mind, but his spirit is dead to God. And it's only through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we're made spiritually alive again that we can even have that fellowship. But then as believers, again, we, God's created us and designed us to be in fellowship with him. And that's, that's our, I mean, I, you know, some people say, well, what's God's will for my life? I don't know if I should take that job or if I should go here or that. And I can't answer those questions, but I can answer one thing. God's will for you, for each one of us is to be in fellowship with him. He created us for that. And so just an encouragement this morning that, uh, you know, uh, even as believers, you know, we can get to that place where we're out of fellowship and, and, uh, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you have friends that, you know, you were really close with and then you, maybe you, life happens and you moved away or different jobs or whatever and you kind of lose touch with them. And, and it's not that you have anything against them, but it's just things happen, right? And, you, and you've kind of drifted away. And then sometimes if they're a good friend and you get back together, it's, it's like you never left. You ever notice that? It's like, man, it's just, I've got friends in California and, uh, you know, when we go out to visit them and stuff and, and we just, it's just like, man, it's like nothing's changed. That friendship is still there. And, and, you know, with God, sometimes we can feel like, man, I, I've, I've just, I've been away from him so long. I, I and, and, uh, you know, I want to, I want to come back to him, but you know, God doesn't, hold a record of wrongs. He doesn't go, well, you know, and I'm, man, you walked away from me. I'm going to be distant to you. No, the Bible says, draw near to God, man. He'll draw near to you. He's just ready to be in fellowship. He desires fellowship with each one of us. So I just want to encourage you as believers, um, first of all, as unbelievers, if you have, if you don't have a relationship with God, you'll never get to that place of that being in that rest and being in that fellowship with God until you have a relationship through Jesus Christ, until you're spiritually alive once more. But even as Christians, I want to encourage you guys, find those times to be alone with the Lord. Find those times to be in fellowship with Him because you're going you're gonna to go through life. If you don't, you're going to go through life and you're going to f- get frustrated. You're going to be stressed out um, and, and you won't be operating optimally as you were created to. We were created to be in fellowship with God. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. Why don't you stand and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, when we think about creation and we read about the fact that you've created us in your image Lord God you've given us attributes and Lord the reason why you've done that why we are uh, created above all creation all around us Lord is because you created us to be in fellowship with you Lord you desired creatures that were made in your image that could relate to you that could have fellowship with you 
And Lord, I thank you that you've brought us into a relationship with you through Jesus Christ and that we can share that fellowship with you. And Lord, this morning, we just come before you. And Lord, we just confess there are times where we just lose sight of that. We forget about that or we get so busy in our lives. Lord, I pray that this morning we might be reminded, Lord, that, that you desire that fellowship with us. And that, Lord, we would come back to that place of, of being in, in fellowship with you. We thank you that you've provided the way for us, Lord. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. We look around at creation. It just, it just blows us away. It's just so amazing, creation. And yet, Lord, you've created it for us. And, and, and Lord, I just thank you for the record of your creation, Lord, that we've studied this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing on each and every person this week, Lord. As we go through this week, I pray that we might find those times of refreshing, those times of peace and quiet to be sitting at your feet, Lord God. And so thank you for the reminders this morning. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.